I'd like you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 is uh, perhaps the most quoted of all Old Testament scriptures in the New Testament. And as we read it through, you will see how we can almost describe it as a Christian manifesto. It's talking about the rulership of Jesus Christ and God's plan from the moment of Christ's resurrection and exaltation to the right hand of the Father, where he begins to reign from heaven out right the way through to these enemies becoming the footstool of his feet, and he must remain there until that happens. And I'm teaching on this because I've been kind of reminded of this message uh, by the teaching of R.T. Kendall uh, on the midnight cry, and, and I'm not trying to invade his territory on this, but I, I think that coming together with some perspectives on it will help us get a picture. Now, um, I'm going to get into the reading in, in a moment, but let me also preface this with a, a very short story. Um, many years ago, in fact, it would be 1981 to be precise, somebody on the front row who does math tell me how long ago that is, and uh, I was invited to stand in as a locum pastor for a pastor in Scotland who had to be away from his church for a year. I don't know what level I was at. I, I don't think I, I might have just been hatched or maybe I was still an egg. I don't know. But I was very, very young and inexperienced and, and it was a great joy to be able to spend time um, in a church helping people. I visited every person in, in, in that fellowship over the month I was there. Met William Atkinson, who was a medical student in Edinburgh at that time, and that's when we struck up a friendship. During that time, uh, I was very much in prayer before God as uh, you're away, you're away from home, you've got your accommodation, very limited, you're preaching, teaching, eating, visiting, and staying at home. And I had a look at Psalm 110, and at that time, I believe God gave me a take on this psalm which I believe to be ex exegetically sound. I believe it to be what the psalmist is actually saying. But it was a take on it that we were to expect a move of God which would mobilize God's people in the end times before the return of Jesus Christ in a phenomenal uh, move of God that would literally shake the nations. And therefore, when RT speaks about the midnight call, get it, it's all on, online for you. Go onto our webpage and you can watch it free of charge or you can buy the, buy the DVDs, the series, uh, beginning with the midnight cry and RT is working on this and we've been discussing it and it's been absolute, absolutely thrilling. So the midnight cry, it's tying in, I believe, with what he's saying. Let's go straight to the scriptures then, Psalm 110, verses 1 through 4. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. In the beauties of holiness... From the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. You know that the Psalms was the, was the kind of uh, 
hymnal, the, 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 the worship life of ancient Israel. A lot of these psalms were said or sung during times of national importance, such as the coronation of a king, and this is an enthronement, probably coronation psalm, and it may well have been uh, sung and, and celebrated uh, uh, when they were celebrating the king's rule and reign, maybe anniversaries of the rule or reign, but certainly it has a context in which Israel is celebrating the kingship, and it finds its fullest expression in Old Testament language in the kingship of David, who becomes for us a kind of prototype of Messiah, one who is seen to be the ideal king and a picture of the Messiah to come, and, and they even called Messiah son of David and, and, and so on. So we can read this psalm immediately at two levels, its original context and the worship life of ancient Israel, but also we can read it prophetically. Now, when I speak about prophecy here, I'm talking about the prophecy of Scripture. I'm not talking about lower levels of prophecy. And, you know, if you've ever heard a prophecy like this and you've been blessed by it, don't let me offend you. But often, prophecies are along the lines of, yea, oh, my people, hear my people. If ever there was a day in which we lived, it is today. And you say, well, that hasn't gone anywhere. Or, 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 or prophecies of, of, of a woman who's pregnant. You're going to have a girl, and if it's not, it will be a boy. And you say, well, <laughs> there's not much prophetic content and I, in that. And I, I want to see us grow in the gift of prophecy so that real revelation and content is added to, to what we do, and we need to grow in that. However... No matter how well you prophesy, you will never, ever even come close to the level of God's prophetic word. This is a sure word of prophecy. So what God says here will happen. And let's, let's go through it. First of all, it's talking about Christ acceding to the throne of the universe. And... Um, I, I want to turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 33, which is a short section from the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and you can read the full context for yourself, and, and it ends up with this statement concerning who Jesus is, and he quotes from Old Testament scripture saying that he will not allow his holy one, God will allow his holy one to see corruption. That's why he's been raised from the dead. And so verse 33, talking about Christ, Jesus, the Messiah, he is exalted to the right hand of God. He is seated on the throne of the universe. And then from there it says, he has received from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. This is our birthright. Christ ruling at the right hand of God on the executive seat of the universe, and his first executive act is to receive from the Father the gift of the Spirit, and pour out that gift, as it happened on the day of Pentecost, upon the church, and that is an ongoing experience. And I often illustrate it like this. I won't do it today because I didn't get any, didn't prepare it, but I would take a, a jug of water and pour it out and keep pouring it out, and there'll come a time when that jug would be empty. 
But the Holy Spirit being infinite spirit, you can, God can start pouring him out 2,000 years ago, and he's still not yet poured out. He, he's still more to come. And this is a continual experience that manifests in two things, the Word and the Spirit. And we find that here in what Peter says, he has poured out what you both see and hear. This is our birthright. Exalted Christ, worshipping Messiah, working in partnership with him as he pours out his spirit upon the church continually manifesting in the word preached with real demonstrations of the power of God. That's not just Pentecostalism. That is what the whole of the church of Jesus Christ has and it belongs to us all. Now part of this is this phrase, Psalm 110 verse 3, your troops will be willing on your day of power. Now, I have both the New King James Version and the NIV Version here, and I'll be slipping between the two, and you may wish to compare it. How many people use the NIV? How many people use the New King James? How many people use the Old King James? Yea, reverently, okay. Uh, how many people use all of them because you got it on your iPhone or something like that? The re a lot of people are not putting your hands up. Do you have Bibles? Go down to the bookstore and buy the biggest, best Bible you can find. Okay. Your troops will be willing on the day of your power. Now, if I wanted to be faithful to the exposition of the scripture, I would begin, which I do, I would begin with its original context. This is the pledge of Israel to the king. When you need us, we're going to be there. If, that, if we're threatened by our enemies, we're going to join the army, we're going to fight for our nation. Don't forget, in those days, religion and politics were the same. Jesus separated it when he said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. But at that time, the laws of the land were the religious laws, and the religious laws were the civil laws. It was all together under the kingship of the king. So they were saying, we're going to be ready for you when you, we're pledging allegiance to you. We will fight for you. We will die for you. We're going to give everything to you because you are our king. Now, when we talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about what happened from the day of Pentecost, what will continue to happen right the way through to the second coming of Jesus. God wants his people to be willing on the day of his power. The day of his power is now. When he was enthroned and exalted at the right hand of the Father, he entered into a position of authority in which he was able to say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He poured out his power upon the church. So we are baptized into a church of power. That is our daily expectation, our daily heritage. However, we also know that there are times and seasons with God. And I see in this passage not just a, a context that applies in every age and every generation. I see this climaxing in a final move of God in which these things will be literally and completely fulfilled. My basis for that is many scriptures. R.T. has helped us with Matthew 25. I certainly see it there. But there are other scriptures in Romans, in Revelation, in Ephesians, and maybe we'll be touching on those in the future. But one that interests me for today is Acts chapter 3. 
verses 18 to 21. So you're getting something the 9 o'clock service didn't get, but that's for free. Okay, Romans 3, verses 18 to 21. Thank you very much. I'm just testing to see if you're listening. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're listening. Wow. Okay, Acts 3, like you said. All right. And this is after the healing of the lame man. How many know that a miracle will attract attention, a genuine miracle? Not somebody, I think I had a headache before, and I'm not sure, but I think it's gone now. Oh, well, praise God for that. But this is a man where everybody knew it was done openly. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have in the name of Jesus, I give it to you, rise up and walk. And he entered the temple walking and leaping and praising God, never allowed to enter the temple before because of his infirmity. But now what a living testament. A crowd gathered and said, don't look at us. We didn't do this by our own power or holiness. This is God at work. And, and he then uses that as a platform to preach Christ not to raise an offering or to put his name, everybody's name on a mailing list and get on the front page of Christian magazines, preaching Christ. And this is how he finishes, verse 18. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he is thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until, until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. I want you to notice two things. When people turn to God... They need to both repent and be converted. Repent means a change of heart and mind and a change of direction. That word metanoia has no immediate reference to a change in your lifestyle. It's not as if God says, repent, then I'll accept you. You know, change your lifestyle, then I'll accept you. But re that repentance is recognizing who God is, is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a complete turnabout in the whole of the orientation of your life but you still need to go on and to be converted. To be converted means a complete change in your lifestyle and you begin to walk in a new lifestyle. So let me give you an illustration for this. I see you have mobile phones um, and you're not texting your friends. Uh, or are you? If you're tweeting, say Colin Dye is preaching well. All right. So how many have BlackBerry iPhone, BlackBerry phones? Blackberry, keep it up because the company needs your help. Okay. <laughs> How many people have iPhones? Okay, all right. How many have recently converted from Blackberry to, uh, to iPhone? One, two, or three? Okay. So the process in your mind was this. You were Blackberry people and you love Blackberry, and you start to think about iPhone, and your friend said, no phone, but iPhone, uh, and, and you'll be... So, then you changed your mind, okay? When you changed your mind, that correlates to the word repent. <laughs> it's only an illustration. But until you actually went and did something about it, 
you had not yet converted. All right? So we need to preach both things. We need to preach that you need to turn to God with all of your heart and then follow him day by day. Uh, being born again leads to a life of discipleship, and we're here to help you with that. Okay, that's the first part. Now then, once we have entered into that experience, we qualify for something. So long as we keep walking with God and staying close to him, what do we qualify for? It says, times of refreshing that will come from the presence of the Lord. And this seems to me to say it's all about Jesus manifesting his presence in the church. Notice it says times of refreshing. Now, the word here is, doesn't apply to chronological time, the thing that you had to put forward by one hour. And I noticed quite a few of you arriving at uh, 12 o'clock, which, okay, but that's chronological time. But the Greek has another word for time, which means seasonal, fitting, appropriate time, opportune time. And that's the word that's used here. This tells us there are times and seasons of refreshing, okay? And we can, I believe we're in one, and we're going to enter greater ones, and I believe it will accumulate because God never does less. He always does more. And then the second part that I want you to see is he says this will happen and Christ will remain seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven until the restoration of all things. Extraordinary language. You could not use stronger language to describe what we are talking about. A time of restoration in which God will so act that all the enemies of Christ will surrender to him and acknowledge him. Now, hear me, I'm not saying this means everybody is going to get saved. But everybody is going to know who Jesus is. They will, they will, if they deny him, they'll be denying him out of knowledge, which is a very serious thing. Many people deny him out of ignorance. But they will say, we know that he's the Christ, but we do not accept him. I have met people like that, and it frightens me. They say, I know what you're saying is true. I know that Jesus is the Christ, but I refuse to bow the knee to him. So we are talking about a move of God that will do two things. It will cause the gospel of Christ by the Spirit to be a credible witness across the nations of the earth. And adding this other text, as you follow through on RT's teaching and other stuff we'll bring, will show that this will me can mean nothing less than a major move of God that will shake whole continents with the gospel, that will sweep major people groups into the, into the gospel. It will include a restoration of Israel. I'm not just talking about them going and living back home again and rebuilding vineyards. I'm talking about them knowing and recognizing that Jesus is the Christ and that we have stolen 
Paul and his, their Messiah. And something will happen in the Gentile world that will make the Jews so jealous as saying, what have you got? We've got your Messiah. You've stolen our Messiah. And we'll say, no, no, there's plenty of him to go around them all. And I love the, the, the idea that RT is putting forward, uh, and that is that who would be better qualified to provoke the Jews to jealousy than the Arabs. That's an interesting thought, isn't it? Imagine if Islam was shaken by the revelation of the gospel and suddenly all the Arabs start saying, Jesus is Lord, and start to celebrate full of the Holy Spirit, Israel will take notice and say, what are that them, their Arabs, up to? What are they doing? Are they praising Messiah? Well, that's a, that's a Jewish word. Yeah, well, he, he's a Jewish Messiah. And the Arabs to accept that would be a double deluxe miracle. But it's going to happen. It's going to happen. The Gentiles are going to stir up the Jews to jealousy. To jealousy. And, and, the, and it's going to be a major, we could call it national repentance. We could call it a major turning of the Jewish nation to God, a major turning of Gentile nations to God. What is that if it is not a move that will shake the earth? And RT believes that midnight call could happen today. That's how fresh it is. Okay. Now let me begin to describe this a little bit in the language of this psalm. I want to tell you about this psalm. It is, uh, there is a, a constant theme, a consistent theme in the Old Testament. That Messiah would act in two great capacities. He will be king, but he will also be priest. Now, we can also add a third category, prophet. He's prophet, priest, and king. And, and I guess they're all three here. But the two that are, are emphasized is Christ's kingly ministry and authority. Jesus is Lord now. He is ruling and reigning now from the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he's directing our lives, and he wants to grab hold of the church so that we surrender more and more to his kingdom so that we can be more useful in his hands and glorify him across the nations of the earth. But he is also <clears throat> priest. Uh, Melchizedek, who is this Old Testament picture of this role of Messiah, was both priest and king. But in ancient Israel, kingship and priesthood were rarely, if ever, combined. There were two separate functions. But our Messiah is both priest and king. He is our great Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Also, he is appointed as such on an oath by God. You have sworn, I have sworn, and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So what's Melchizedek all about? It just simply means that this precedes the law. This is not a Levitical thing. He's not a Levitical priest. This is God's priestly purpose from way even before Moses. 
And so you and I do not need a priest on earth. Our priest is in heaven. And how does he operate? He operates out of intercession. He asks the Father for the nations. And the Father hears him. And he must have been praying something like this. Father, give me Africa. Because Africa is coming to Christ. He must have been praying, give me China. Because China is coming to Christ. China is the most Christian part of the world in terms of population. And I'm also, I haven't given up on Europe. I'm sure he will be praying, give me Europe as well. Now, it doesn't look like he's praying that at the moment. (laughs) Uh, Europe doesn't seem to be getting closer. Our own society is going further and further away from God. But something can happen to reverse that. And we must believe him for the times of refreshing that will touch our lives. And you know, people are talking about recent legislation and saying, oh, isn't this terrible? Please stop tutting at the television. Do something. Don't just go, isn't that terrible? No. I tell you what, the buck stops here. What is happening out there is because we, generally speaking, and over generations, have just handed it all over to the enemy. We have not been where we need to be. We have not been who we needed to be. But God is going to change all that because when this day of power comes, God's people will be willing. Okay, so let's move through this. First of all, uh, verse 3, it says, Your troops will be willing on on your day of battle. That is NIV. New King James says, Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. What I want you to know is that the Hebrew here, that's the original language which the Psalms were written, is charged with priestly sounding language. And if you were to look at this and look at each of the words, you could kind of paraphrase it like this. Your people shall offer themselves willingly as sacrifices. Rather like Romans 12 verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, which wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This image extends right to our lives on a daily basis. We offer ourselves, our very bodies, our lives, as a willing, living sacrifice to God. That's a priestly function. Sacrifice is a priestly function. So what we're talking about here is a time when God's people in the day of his power will offer themselves freely and willingly as sacrifices, holy sacrifices acceptable to God, serving him in openness. This is every pastor's dream. It will not just be people who are reluctant Oh, we need some more people for the stewarding teams. Who is going to do it? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Who wants some extra rewards in heaven? Who wants a reduction in tithes on earth? Do everything possible to try and persuade people to do something. Or or how about who is going to go out there? Who's going to go to the mission field? Who's going to cross the road? Who's going to join the the, the evangelism team? And and for us to have to try and persuade and, and use every manipulative trick in the book to get people to do what we want them to do and, we, and they know that God wants them to do. It won't be like that. 
There will be an abundance of people who are saying, I want to go. There will be Isaiahs everywhere. Here am I. Send me. I'm ready. I'm available. Are you available today? It's a big question. Then it goes on to say this. Uh, it, it says, your, your, your troops, your troops. So we're talking about an army. Now remember, spiritual warfare in the New Testament, or warfare in the New Testament is always spiritual. We don't take up arms to fight for the kingdom. There was a time in history when that happened. And that is really one of the most shameful parts of the history and of the activity of the church of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, else my children and my servants would fight. You, you can't take a gun and shoot a demon. You can't take a gun to somebody's head and say, repent. If they do, they, they do it externally, not internally. That's not how this kingdom works. Other religions work like that. But those religions are of this world. This is something from God. But it is an army because there is a battle. And the battle is for the souls of men and women. Your troops will be willing on your day of power. And I believe this day of power, putting together other scriptures, includes not just the seasons of refreshing that come, but the power and anointing that will lead to an end time restoration of all things. In other words, we are going to get the job done. Dr. Kendall and I were speaking to Michael Eaton recently, and he says, I'm to I totally agree with this concept. And I said, what scriptures would you use? He said, well, just try Matthew 28. Go and make disciples of all nations. I'm with you. It's a job to do. Do you think he's going to come back before we've got the job done? No. This is the purpose of God that we should disciple whole people groups and whole nations. There is power in the church to do this, but the time is coming when God's people will be willing. Now, don't think to yourself, oh, that's great. The time is coming. I don't have to be willing today. I will just wait. I'll just wait for that sign to come and then I'll be willing then. No, 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 no. If you're not willing now, you won't be willing then. Hmm? Well, if you say you'll be willing then, then you must be willing now. So what we can respond to today is say, God, here am I. This call could come today, but I'm ready. I'm preparing myself and I am showing that I acknowledge you both as my Lord, my King, and also as my High Priest because you are working in my life. Okay, priestly reference. Then it goes on to say this. In the New King James Version, it says, in the beauties of holiness, this is halfway through verse three. Is it up there for you? In the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. We'll read it in a moment in the NIV and also an alternative reading. And he, here's my, my rule of interpretation. Colin Dye, personal room. You can adopt it if you want. And, uh, is if, if there are two possible meanings 
and both are good and both bless me, I take them both. It's called greedy interpretation, all right? Okay, so here we have this picture of Jesus Christ clothed with all the glory and beauty of his heavenly, priestly, kingly ministry. Constantly in the full vigor of his youthfulness. Now, you may want to argue with me. I remember when I was converted at 18 years of age, the big doctrine that was going around was we'd have resurrection bodies, we'd be like Jesus' body, which is true, but then they added, we'll be 33 forever. And the people who were teaching that were in their 80s. Uh, and, and it was good news for them. But, but for me, at 18, it was, it was bad news. But we know this for sure. When Christ was raised, he was raised in the full vigor of strength and youthfulness, and he will carry that forever. He is never, ever going to get old. And we're going to have bodies that will be like him in that respect. But it's not just a question of appearance. This is an image which relates to full strength, passionate, strong, disciplined, mature, youthfulness. And that's a picture of God's readiness to be anything you need him to be at any time. He doesn't grow old or tired or weak or weary or need to take a nap. He is always there. And he never changes. I love that picture. Would you buy that today? Would you take that one? I'm taking it. But let's flip over to Psalm 110 in um, the NIV. Same part says, now just read the New King James as I read the NIV and you'll see the difference. Arrayed in holy majesty, from the womb of the dawn, you will receive the dew of your youth. And then there is an alternative. Your young men will come to you like the dew. Here the focus is not on the eternal vigor, strength, power, and youthfulness of resurrected Messiah. Here, those same qualities are communicated to those who follow him. So this is a picture of a young army, an army of young people, I'll come more on that in a moment, who are totally dedicated to the service of the priestly king. And it's very specifically young male language that's used here. Now, before on Mother's Day you start shouting at me, let me tell you some good news. In the New Testament, we're all priests to God. Men and women, young and old. But in the Old Testament language, the priests were young men, and again, I'm speaking a little bit as a 60-plus person, but they retired at 50. Um, uh, but they were called as young men. And there they are, only men, because only, priests, only men qualified as priests in the Old Testament. So here's a picture, really, of the Church of Jesus Christ operating in priestly function. And when it speaks about arrayed in holy majesty... This is a reference to the priestly clothing. 
You remember in the Old Testament, the priests were well-dressed, dressed out in very specific holy clothing, and the reference to that is the holiness of God. And what, what, I, want to, what I want to say to you is this, the language of clothing in New Testament is used everywhere. We are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We are clothed with power from on high. We are clothed with Christ himself. We put on humility. We put on the new man, the new creation. And so all of this clothing, these pictures of clothing, we can draw from this language here and apply it to every single area of your life. But there is one area which is key to every other area. Are you ready for it? I'm coming out with a very strong word here now, and I need to know that you are ready. Okay, 9 o'clock service said yes straight away. 11 o'clock service is thinking about it. Are you ready? Okay, here's the word. Holiness. Not holiness. 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 What is that? That's everything that is beautiful and good and true and attractive about Christ. This army must be arrayed in holy, majestic clothing, not just in our position in Christ, but in the way we actually live as we put on those garments of praise, put on those garments of righteous living. Not just who we are in Christ, but how we live in Christ. And I really believe that this is the best way of preparing. You might say, well... I need to prepare. I'm going to pray and fast for the Holy Spirit to come. Too late. You're 2,000 years too late. He is so available. I believe we should wait on him. Uh, absolutely. But where we have to give our attention, every single one of us, including the person speaking to you now, is we need to discover new levels of real holiness. Holiness that isn't just based on rules and regulations. For example... Never allowing a Christian to sing a song from the rock album Queen. That's, that kind of stuff is not holiness. That's, that's the rule and regulation. Why not go right there? Take back what the devil has stolen from us. You want to do this in business? Of course you do. You're quite happy to go into the world of business and, and make as much money from that them unbelieving people so you can bring it back to God, you want to do that, amen? amen? Let's do it in every area. Let's go into the world of education and tell them what real knowledge is all about. Let's go into the world of politics and influence it so that it becomes just a little more sane, sanctified, and palatable than it is today. The whole of the world is evil and wicked, but we are there to shine as lights. Is that not right? But we have to shine. Uh, this is now the more formal part of my message, and the earlier part won't have been recorded for good purpose. Because, but you know, I was talking about somebody that I said, I'm, I'm their pastor. I'm their, I've imposed it. I said, you can't get away from me. I'm your pastor. So finally, they accepted it. And I want to get hold of people like that, and people like you, and, and help you. And together we can do it, because I need you and you need me. I'm not some big guy up here. We're all flesh, thinking flesh, apart from the grace of God. We need each other. 
so that we can grow in real holiness and be ready because this will be number one prerequisite for being part of this wonderful army. We can start living and preparing now. And that doesn't mean to say we have to be perfect, you know. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his enabling in us, his, his, his saving grace by which we're saved by faith through, in Christ and by faith alone. It's about his enabling grace by which we serve him and do what we wouldn't ordinarily be able to do. It's all about the grace of God. And the sooner we accept that we are nothing without him and can do nothing without him, the more we can grow. And there is nothing that can do this apart from the Holy Spirit. You can have a show of spirituality, such as all kinds of rules and regulations and, and fastings and all this kind of stuff. I'm, I, I'm fully in favor of fasting in the, by, by the Holy Spirit, but prescribed legalistic stuff, that doesn't make you holy. It makes you less holy than before. I know, because I tried it. <laughs> but when you are moving by the Holy Spirit, and you're in touch with the one who is connected to you by that same Holy Spirit, who directs everything from heaven by that Holy Spirit, working out his purposes so that the times and seasons may come to fulfillment. And then, let me finish with this image. Your young men will come to you like the dew from the womb of the morning, which means the dawn. And that seems to suggest that he's talking about a specific day. And at daybreak... A call is going to go out. Maybe it's the same as the midnight calls. Maybe it's the same teaching that touches together on that one, crosses, intersects with that. But that day is coming. From the womb of that day, your young men will come to you like the dew. How does the dew fall? Unless you're Gideon and can convince God to send you a sign so the dew falls here or there. The dew falls everywhere. And I have this picture because I'm an artistic creative person of the sun rising and the dew dripping from the leaves of the trees and the sun catching the light and reflecting right across that whole place. Could this be a sign of the glory of the Lord that is coming? and shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And we know that he must reign until his enemies have become his footstool. We know that heaven must receive him until the restoration of all things. So when we look ahead, something is happening and something is going to happen. I want to be part of it, and I hope you do too. Let's pray right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the Holy Spirit's revelation because we would never even be able to say Jesus is Lord or He is the Christ, the Son of the living God without that revelation. And we're so dependent on the Holy Spirit. Help us 
to be more sensitive to him than ever, more reliant on him than ever, both consciously and even unconsciously, total dependence. But we ask also that you'd continue to throw light on your word that we might hear your voice, what the Spirit is saying to the churches, that we might put ourselves in that right place, that we might be qualified to be part of that great army of priests who spread God's glory and get the job done, mobilized, anointed body of Christ of the end times. Father, help us. The fact that we could miss it frightens. But our knowledge that you desire us to be part of it encourages. So we say to our great Lord and King, here am I. Please, Lord, draw us closer to you. Make us more attentive than ever and continue to speak to our hearts that we might be ready. In Jesus' name.